Chelsea Fairless. And we are finally back together, Chelsea. How the hell are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, you are surprisingly refreshed for just getting off a plane from Australia. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well considering. Although when you're on a cross-country flight like that, you realize how close society is to collapse. Go on. (laughs) Please elaborate. Well, it's just the way that people act in airports. They don't push their luggage through the x-ray machine. They huddle around the baggage claim like it's the main stage at Coachella. That's the only time that I'm okay with TSA agents yelling at people is when they're like, don't go through the security monitors before you push your luggage through. (laughs) I'm like, correct. It's not moving. How do you think it's going to get through the (laughs) x-ray machine? Also, it really annoys me that like the most outwardly ill people on the plane are the ones that don't wear masks. Well, of course not. That's why you have to preventatively wear a mask. But I'm over that. How are you? What is up? I'm good. Life has been incredibly boring. Do I look like Samantha after a chemical peel on this side of my face? Oh, have you had something lasered off? I went to my facialist yesterday and I was like, what can we do? I'm going to get married. Like, let's put a routine together. And I was like, you know, I had these like crazy cystic pimples last year and like the hyperpigmentation has lifted. Like, is it microneedling? Is it lasering? Like, what should I do? And she looked at my skin and she goes, you have sun damage. And I went, excuse me? How do you have sun damage? I'm the palest bitch alive. I was like, what? Yeah, you're like, I barely leave my house. How is that possible? She goes, well, do you wear sunscreen every day? I'm like, well, not every day. But do you need to if you don't go outside is the question. Evidently, she was like, well, you know, it's 30 plus years of just being out in the sun. Instead of giving me a full chemical peel, she just sort of dotted around, so. Your skin looks great. Thank you. Lauren and I are not above being those people that are like posting Instagram stories of shit being lasered off their face. Like I am fully open for spawn opportunities. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're fully sponsoring my wedding. Like, let's whore this out. But just It's Star Jones's wedding. (laughs) Well, I think it's cool. Not the wedding itself, but just everything related to us. Like, getting ready for the wedding, a bachelorette party. Like, that will sponsor. Oh, God. Poor Jenny's going to have to pitch that. I feel bad for her. Well, what's worse, that she's going to have to pitch it or that she's listening to this podcast right now being like, oh, I guess I have to pitch this? (laughs) What else? I've switched to Coke Zero. Look, it does taste more like regular. I will give it that. But I like the like chemically bitter taste of Diet Coke. Paul does as well. I've just also am on a fitness journey. I'm like, oh, this is how much sugar is in a regular Coca-Cola? I guess I could switch. You're only learning this now. I didn't care before. Evidently this year I care. The reality of the situation is we should not be drinking any of this stuff. Like artificial sugar, like that's the most sinister shit that you could ingest. That was my previous belief. But in the scheme of addictions, is it that bad? I don't know. 
I mean, certain documentaries will say sugar is our worst addiction, but we have so much to get into. It's actually insane. We have some and just like that news at the top of the show. Should we start with Charlotte or Che? Maybe Charlotte. Yeah, let's torture everyone by talking about Kristen Davis starring in the new Jacques Mousse campaign. Did she star in the campaign or was it a video invite for the upcoming show? Yeah, I suspect that it's more of a one-off video. It's basically a very elaborate unboxing video and she is unboxing the fashion show invite for their newest collection, which is basically like a knit sweater. A very lovely sweater. Lovely sweater. And there's a very campy voiceover that describes everything that's going on. And then it ends with her putting it over her shoulders, Charlotte York style. And I would like to think that Kristen will be at the show. Yes, yes. That has to happen. I feel like that's inevitable. And I cannot wait to see her in a full look. She's always a gem. I hope there are print ads coming, but you never know. At the very least, we will get an appearance, I feel. All right. Should we get into it? Yes. So if you listen to this podcast, I'm sure by now you know that earlier in the week, Sada Ramirez potentially got themselves fired for men just like that. This year, Chelsea, I want to be more like Daily Mail in our podcast. (laughs) No, we're not getting that conspiratorial, but continue. In a Instagram story post that then they put on their Instagram grid, they said, our industry is so duplicitous. While they give awards away, casting directors and agents are making blacklists of actors and workers who post anything in support of Palestinians in Gaza to ensure they will not work again. While they lift off some of their own clients who have spoken up against the genocide, they are firing and letting others who have smaller platforms go. While they award LGBTQ orgs, they are silent on these orgs' ties to weapons manufacturers who are currently supporting the Israeli military as it commits genocide on Palestinian lives. They go on to say it's wild how performative so many in Hollywood are, even more performative than the last character I played, pink fingernail emoji. (laughs) Had to include that. Because the last line of this is a clear Che Diaz reference, Many took the part about blacklisting to be about and just like that. Right. When we initially saw that post, because it went up almost simultaneously to the Emmys, we had assumed that possibly Sada was mad they were not asked to be part of the Grey's Anatomy reunion at the Emmys. I don't know. Yeah, that was my thought, too. We did not take it to mean that they were fired from and just like that. But many people, people being the Daily Mail, thought the post hinted at them no longer being Che Diaz and that they were let go because of their pro-Palestinian beliefs. So the Daily Mail ran that as an exclusive. And then by the end of that day, the Daily Mail dropped another exclusive from a source saying... Sada Ramirez has officially been dropped from in just like that after creators decided their divisive character Che Diaz was, quote, a waste of airtime and, quote, annoying fans. (laughs) Not because of their stance on Palestine. It's truly the funniest headline. This is really tough because what Sada is saying is true. They are speaking truth to power. But unfortunately, in invoking Che Diaz and then the subsequent revelation that Che Diaz is no longer on the show made people relieved and happy about that. Uh, which is probably not their intended reaction with this post. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. I support them speaking up about the genocide, but intertwining that with personal grievances about the way that Che Diaz was written is just bizarre. Yeah, it's a super complicated 
post also well let's start at the top right because there's many different things happening here yes i understand why they feel compelled to speak about this it is super spooky but then this kind of dovetails into what i interpreted as a subtweet towards glad because during the emmys ceremony the same emmys where the gray's anatomy reunion happened glad got some award I don't know what it is, but some award for everything they do because that is an organization that is all about like positive media representations for queer people, essentially. So when I saw this, I assumed that they were talking about GLAAD. But can you explain a little bit further? Right. You're talking about the part where they say, while they award LGBTQ orgs that are silent on those orgs ties to weapons manufacturers. (laughs) So wait, is GLAAD making bombs? (laughs) Like, that is so fucked. Right. So what I could find is this. This belief basically comes from a widely shared TikTok video by a queer Palestinian TikToker known as Fake Gyllenhaal, who said that one of the HRC's corporate sponsors is Northrop Grumman, which is a weapons manufacturer. So GLAD and the human rights campaign are completely different organizations, though. Uh, I could find in a financial report of GLAAD from 2012 that one of their corporate sponsors was Northrop Grumman, but it's not currently listed. However, in that TikTok post, they were calling for people to sign this petition. And within that, they were calling for people to boycott GLAAD, PFLAG, other LGBTQIA organizations. So that is what that statement comes from. So GLAAD used to take money from weapons manufacturers, but they don't currently, but HRC does. That is the best that I can find. Yes, that seems to be true. Okay, fair then. That's super sinister and they should be called out for that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find purity in any... No, I know. In our late stage capitalism, like I'm not surprised that uh, fucked up companies will (laughs) use their their war profits to to support positive media representations of gay people Uh, yeah the other thing that makes this bizarre is that glad is basically responsible for how unfunny che diaz's stand-up is oh do we want to get into this I think we've talked about it on the show before. Sada Ramirez talked about it in at least one interview. I mean, we heard about it before that, but basically it was very important to them that Glad approved the scripts. And Glad, they don't have that much of a sense of humor, let's just say. And so a lot of Che's comedy concert material was influenced by that. So yes, that was also a little surprising to me to see Sada call out Glad when they so wanted a year or two ago Glad's input in Che Diaz's storyline. Speaking of Che Diaz, so they say, what did they say again? Uh, They said, it's wild how performative so many in Hollywood are, even more performative than the last character I played. And don't forget, pink fingernail emoji. If you think that Che Diaz is a performative example of queer representation, I think that is as much on Sada as it is on Michael Patrick King because they were hugely involved with the development of this character, whether it was the dialogue, the wardrobe. You two are a bisexual, non-binary, Mexican-Irish diva. Did I get them all in? I think you did. We also debated whether to discuss this or not. Uh, This was before the Daily Mail picked up the story because 
I felt like we covered this pretty well in August when Sada did their post that was responding to the New York Magazine article. And pretty much, it's since been deleted. I tried to find it again. But that, I thought, was whether they were let go, which is something we learned a little bit later, but seemed like they were saying goodbye to the character. Yeah. So that's why when the story first came up of like, were they fired for their beliefs? It's like, oh, no, I thought they, one, didn't want to be this character and then were let go way ahead of when writing for season three even started. We should also say, we're not the sources for this Daily Mail story. No, we're not the sources, but we did hear Tinseltown gossip about this. They have been let go for a while now. So it has absolutely nothing to do with their views on Palestine. And thank God for that, because if that was the case, then we would also lose Cynthia. And we cannot be down two girls. Right. I meant to say we're not the sources uh, to the Daily Mail. We did not say that Che was a waste of airtime and (laughs) and annoying fans. But I like to think that Jenny Bix or, or Cindy Schupek are like obsessive Daily Mailers like us. And like saw that story, sent it to, to Daddy MPK, and he was just like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> like calling his publicist, like, how do I be a source? <laughs> yeah. I too believe that this came from somewhere close to end just like that, because of course they don't want that to spiral out of control. I would feel pissed if I was Daddy MPK because... He's gotten so much bad press. And he really, like, doubled down on the character after the first season, after we've discussed. There was no need for Che Diaz to be in season two. No. Like, this is the same reason why Jar Jar Binks is not in the Star Wars movies that came after whatever that one was. Yes, he was not in Attack of the Clones after making such an impression in Phantom Menace. This man has advocated for this character for so long, thanklessly, no one wanted it. Well, also I get the sense that by the end of season two, perhaps the writing team was like, it's not fucking worth it. (laughs) Yeah, like this is all just too much. So yeah. R.I.P. Che Diaz. Not R.I.P. Che. I like to think that Che is living on in in Portland. That would be perfect. They can date some like suicide girl type chick. I love it. By the way, despite everything we've said about Che Diaz, Max, if you would like to have a spinoff called Che in Portland, (laughs) we will write it. It would be the worst show in the world. Um, Okay, so moving on from And Just Like That. Wait, we did say that And Just Like That isn't coming back until 2025, right? Yes, because I believe we did a little prayer circle and we were so happy we get a little bit of relief, especially the year we plan to go on tour. This is our year of rest and relaxation. Uh, Moving on. Uh, Chell, I have news from the TikTok front lines. Okay, what? Clean girl aesthetic is out. Mob wife aesthetic is in. Okay, I have heard about this because it has infiltrated, you know, the cut in all of the (laughs) usual places that report on such things. Chelsea, they've come for my culture. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I more just wanted to discuss with you the TikTokification of trends because trends are typically called when they're already in progress, they've already happened. I mean, clearly there are trend forecasters, that's an industry, but I have never seen until this year with this exact thing 
someone go, we're all dressing like this now. And like the next day, they've all left their uh, Jerf Avenue and their slick buns behind. And they're all at thrift stores getting fake fur jackets. To be fair, I think fur has had a bit of a comeback. Vintage fur. Or faux fur. Right. So that's been around. The Kardashians are all suddenly wearing fur. You know, I feel like that's in the ether. And I do feel like Drea De Mateo's character from The Sopranos has been on the mood board for quite some time. So, you know, how there's industry plants this might be the first trend plant because this coming to prominence seemingly overnight does coincide with the 25th anniversary oh, yeah. of the sopranos so i do wonder if it's some enterprising social media marketer at max that was like daddy zaslov hear me out <laughs> that would be genius it surely wouldn't be that hard to do right you just need a really catchy term. Yeah, I mean, pun intended, it is digital mob mentality. Like, <laughs> like this is something we've seen with conspiracy theories online, but like never in aesthetics. Well, cottagecore is kind of similar, right? But I feel like that rolled out in months. I'm, I'm saying like one day everyone was doing Pilates <laughs> and now we're all looking like Drea De Mateo. I personally love it. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. So I believe that I ruined your week by sending you this Jennifer Lopez trailer for her, I don't know what to call it, short musical film to accompany her album, This Is Me Now. Oh yeah, I forgot to send you a Venmo request for my emotional labor. <laughs> by the way, I sent you the trailer in our text chat. You didn't respond. And then hours later, I forgot I sent that to you. And you, yes, you were like, I'm going to send you a Venmo request. And I was like, oh God, is she having a bad uh, flight day at the airport? I didn't even <laughs> consider that this would be, you're like, fuck this. So for those who haven't seen the trailer, it's like Jennifer Lopez's version of Cloud Atlas, <laughs> but it's her journey getting back to Ben Affleck, I assume. I was not prepared for one thing to see Fat Joe play a therapist, but for another thing, for this late era Wachowski's aesthetic was truly haunting. So this is directed by Dave Myers, who did the Kendrick Lamar Humble video. He did Bad Blood. He does do these sort of operatic, steampunk, dystopian videos. But when I think of J-Lo's aesthetic, it's like high-heeled Tims and like yachts on the Amalfi Coast and like Versace gowns. It's not her being ejected from a motorcycle that's racing on a glacier. Exactly. It's not like a CGI homage to the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> There's also a really weird part in this where she's in a group therapy session, which seemingly descends into a dance number. But the voiceover is about how she used to share a room with her sister and how her sister would so easily fall asleep and she would just stare at her. I imagine paranormal activity style, just standing over her bed. <laughs> and then it like cuts to a close-up of JLo and she's like, I just don't know how anyone could sleep like that. It's like, what? <laughs> well, also in that scene, it's like she's obviously at a 12-step meeting. I assume for love addicts. There is a part of this trailer where it does seem like any Jennifer Lopez rom-com of the last decade. Like she just was in Shotgun Wedding and I was like, is this 
a deleted scene from that movie? Is Owen Wilson about to come out as one of her husbands? Okay, but can we also talk about that like post-apocalyptic Burning Man type part where it's like a futurist society made of like stick stuff. Is that her in the assembly line? Because did you also notice that it's like a steampunk heart that's beating? Well, and also... Who is Ben Affleck playing? Because he is listed as being in the cast, but we do not see his face in the trailer. do we not see his face? Because Chelsea, I seem to remember, I sent you a screen cap and I'm like, that's him. Oh, that's why you sent me that. Look, I would know that goatee anywhere. Oh my God. This film is not going to be anything less than hell on earth. It's like they took all the wrong lessons from the Beyonce visual albums when they should have made like a big budget version of Carmen, a hip opera. Well, Chelsea, the story of the journey from then to now is the most personal thing I've ever done. Do you feel bad now? The musical experience continues February 16th when This Is Me Now, a love story, my new Amazon original is streaming on App Prime Video. Watch the trailer now. So we got to go to Amazon Prime to watch this. And by we, I mean me, because I don't think you'll survive watching this thing. It has to be 30 minutes, right? I think it's probably a two and a half hour film. (laughs) And we definitely have to watch it together. It's as long as Anatomy of a Fall. (laughs) (laughs) And then lastly, I don't have anything to say more than No Doubt is playing Coachella, question mark, question mark. This makes me super nostalgic. I'm not about to go to Coachella unless anyone has an artist pass that they would like to give me, but I will be watching the live stream. Wait, didn't you go to the first Coachella? I went to the second one. It was like it was like Bjork and the Strokes and I forget who else. It was like Prodigy, I think. It was back when it was like more Glastonbury adjacent. Right, we've gone from two nights to three nights. We've got Lana Del Rey Friday, Tyler the Creator's Headlining Saturday, Doja Cat Sunday, and then at the bottom it just says, and no doubt, which is like, when? (laughs) (laughs) No doubt, when? (laughs) Monday? (laughs) Yeah, do they just play at noon like on every single day? I don't know, but I'm very curious to see what Gwen Stefani wears because obviously where she is now is very far from the Tragic Kingdom era. Also, I was under the impression that Rock Steady was their last album, but I looked it up and they had an album called Push and Shove that came out in 2012 that I did not hear about at all. It's funny, you were about to say that and like something came back from the back of my brain where I was like, Steady and Go, I think is what it was called, yeah. I don't know what I was up to in 2012, but I was not (laughs) listening to No Doubt, clearly. But they're such a good band. They have so many good bops. The live shows are good. I've never seen them live, though. Have you? You know, Chelsea, I did. I saw them opening up for U2 right after September 11th, of <laughs> which Bono sang Sunday Bloody Sunday for 15 minutes just with an American flag around his shoulders. I know you asked about No Doubt, but that's all I remember from that evening. Yeah, how could you remember anything else? Oh, wait, no. I saw No Doubt when I was 14 playing in Long Beach. It was Distiller's Garbage No Doubt in 2002. Oh, I remember that. I'm so sad I didn't go to that tour. What a great lineup. So yeah, Jenny, if you could also get us an artist pass for (laughs) Shall we do a little award season check-in? Sure. So Chelsea, since the Golden Globes, three award shows have happened. The Governor's Award, which we talked about, the Critics' Choice Awards, and the Emmys. 
Now, the governor's awards do not include people that are usually nominated this award season. But what I did notice about this governor's awards is the fact that the entire cast of Oppenheimer and Barbie were seated. So this is the first year where the governor's awards is now part of the award full court press. Right. Where it's like, if you want to get nominated, you're going. Bradley Cooper, he's like, I'm there for all of it. (laughs) So this award season is also very confusing because the Emmys were pushed from September to January. The Bear won big at both the Globes and the Emmys, but at the Globes, they won for the second season of The Bear. At the Emmys, they won for the first season of The Bear, which I don't think the voting body realized. Yeah, that is wild. As always, it is nice to talk about award shows a few days after they happen because you're just left with what you remember from the ceremony. Yeah, for me, it's, well, it was bittersweet seeing Christina Applegate. That's for sure. I'm glad that she got a standing O at the top of the show. And she had great improv lines. She was like, you know, this is kind of ableist, all of you guys standing for me. Yeah. Also, Taraji and Joan Collins as presenters. What an incredible, fabulous, and intuitive pairing. Well, it's also like Ryan Murphy. Whatever that combo is, do that. Yeah, do that. Give us a miniseries of that. Jennifer Coolidge winning and thanking all of the evil gays. That was quite memorable. That was great. Love her, obviously. Niecy Nash, hands down the best speech, in my opinion, touching upon everything. Comedy, tragedy. (laughs) More people should be thanking themselves. That is correct. I know. It's so disappointing when people just thank God. It's like, no. You did that. You did that. Iowa Debery won for The Bear. So she won a Golden Globe, a Critics' Choice Award, and an Emmy all in one week. Incredible. Which she has been killing the red carpet. I don't know if you saw some of the, the quotes that she gave. She has the best, just straight answers for the dumbest red carpet questions. Someone was like on the red carpet, like, did you dream of this? And she was like, no, I dreamt of like health insurance. Oh yeah, she said dental. Dental insurance, (laughs) that's right. She also looked really good in that Louis Vuitton dress. Nice little T-length frock. That I think is, I'm going to sound like my mom when I say this, but it's like, that's a very nice length for for a young woman. (laughs) It is. And an overlooked silhouette, I feel like. Well, it is a Sarah Jessica Parker silhouette. That's an SJP classic right there. Quinta Brunson became the second black woman to win an Emmy for Outstanding Actress in a Comedy, which is depressing. Yeah. The last one was Isabel Sanford in 1961 for the Jeffersons. Yeah, I always find these kind of groundbreaking moments to be quite depressing in a, in a certain sense. I have to say a low point for me was Anthony Anderson being in all of the TV tribute at reunions. Wait, who's that? He's who hosted. He was in Blackish. Okay. His mom was in the audience. I felt bad for both the mom and the people that were giving speeches because when it's just you're pitted against another person to me somehow that's scarier than like an orchestra just playing you off yeah that's sort of intense when you're giving an uh, award speech and the cast of cheers is behind you just staring daggers into your back also beef swept they also swept at the golden globes which we forgot to talk about which is amazing although they were nominated in the limited series category And there's no way that there's not going to be another season of that. Right? Yeah, I think the creator said, or Steven Yun said about 
when asked about a season two that the creator has always seen it as an anthology series. Different beefs. But the ending was like open-ended. And I get that some things just end like that, but like... That's life, Chelsea. Hello, anatomy of a fall. <laughs> but I don't know. I just wanted I wanted another season. Maybe we'll get it now. Uh, certainly Netflix is like so season two. So it's like the A24 version of Feud, basically, is what this could be. Yeah. If it's all about different beefs. So Elton John now has EGOT status? Yes. I thought it was funny. I saw a lot of people being like, man, he wasn't there to accept his award when he became an EGOT. It's not even like an EGOT member. It's like, that's not something you have to attend. It's more the idea that like for the rest of your life now, it's like, you're an EGOT. You're on that list of like 20 people. You and Whoopi Goldberg finally have something to talk about. The in memoriam section really depressed me. Richard Belzer, I completely forgot that he died. It's like jack-in-the-boxes, you know? You're like, oh, fuck, Barbara Walters? Yeah, a lot of shit went down in 2023. Whew, sad. So something else TV-related that happened in the past week that we didn't discuss is the casting for White Lotus Season 3. Hallelujah. So we've got the first round of cast that was announced was Jason Isaacs, Michelle Monaghan, Parker Posey, Leslie Bibb, and Carrie Coon. Parker Posey is the most exciting to me. Because remember, that was my pick when we did our fantasy casting for season three. Oh, shit. On the pod. And it it came true. <laughs> You're Anne Hathaway holding her Oscar. You're like, it came true. It came true. Parker Posey is going to be incredible on this. She is going to be so good at committing microaggressions. I can't <laughs> even imagine. Yeah, I mean, it really is a who's who of the HBO prestige series lineup. Michelle Monaghan, who was in season one of True Detective. Carrie Coon, of course, we know from Gilded Age. The second round of casting, Walton Goggins, Sarah Catherine Hook, Sam Novella, Patrick Schwarzenegger, intriguing, and sex education breakout star Amy Lou Wood. Wait, which one is that? That is not the one that looks like Margot Robbie. Oh, it's the other blonde one. There you go. And then Natasha Rothwell, who played the spa manager Belinda from season one, is coming back for season three. Great. Can't wait for that. But again, not until 2025. Also, we got the truly horrifying, shocking, and appalling news this week that Yellow Jackets will also not return until 2025. Yeah, I'm sorry I had to deliver that news to you. I hate that so much. Are you in a place to hear upsetting news? (laughs) Yellow Jackets isn't coming back till 2025. Yeah, the strike now is catching up with us. Unfortunate. All right. Shall we get into some fashion? Sure. So it's Men's Fashion Month. It is, but there's some women's fashion sprinkled in these shows, I've noticed. Sprinkled in for good measure. Shall we start with D Squared? Yes, D Squared, which has the first fashion gimmick of the year, which they cast identical twins, or I don't, maybe they're fraternal twins. How dare I? They cast twins, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and so they would have one model walk in one outfit, and then they would go into this machine that made it seem like they got transformed into another outfit yeah like a makeover machine so basically like the first model paraded out in like a very intentionally trashy d squared look and then what came out was like a much more polished glam like disco ready version of the same look the idea was like a giant version of remember in fifth element where you just put the like chanel capsule over your eyes and it did your makeup oh yeah 
Love it. I don't really have anything more to say about this show or the clothes. It's never been a better time to be a twin model between this and the Gucci show. That's true. Twins are having a moment. D squared obviously isn't my personal aesthetic, but they're very good at doing what they do. And if they want to make a pair of sequin cargo pants that also looks like assless chaps, good for them. Dua Lipa will wear it. I also love that all the models had grease on their face. It reminded me of that old like Dior, Dior campaign, campaign with yeah. Giselle. There's yeah. something very Y2K about grease on the face. Well, it's also the look of wearing like a fur trapper hat with hot pants is very specific to, you know, old D squared, old Dior. Very fun. What is next? Vuitton? It wasn't boring. <laughs> 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 what did you think? We should say that it was a cowboy-themed collection with some indigenous American references thrown in for good measure. No matter who does that, whether it's Ralph Lauren or Pharrell, it's going to feel and look like costumes at times. Oh yeah, it was like high camp Ralph Lauren. Some of the looks look like Western slash workwear drag, but he's doing his job. Like it's very hypebeast. You can see stuff like the Canadian tuxedo with the Vuitton logo, like that is going to sell incredibly well. Oh, people are going to buy all of this shit, especially if you're like an NBA player, but you want a drip like Clint Eastwood. And look, he's doing the best that he can with the position that he has. Like he's trying to whip a little message at the fashion community while he has their attention. Well, what's the message? Because this show is definitely cultural appropriation, but the question is, does employing indigenous artisans to work on the bags or having an indigenous choir play during the show absolve Louis Vuitton of any wrongdoing in this instance. And furthermore, should a French luxury house be making grills? Is it better he doesn't and just did like pure hypey shit? I don't know. Well, subcultural styles are always entering into the mainstream. That's why we have ripped jeans at Target or whatever. This was his statement post-show. He said, when you see cowboys portrayed, you see only a few versions. You never really get to see what some of the original cowboys look like. They look like us. They look like me. They looked black. They looked Native American. Interesting that he didn't employ the Copton Cowboys to be in the show. I guess that was kind of my first thought. I don't know. To Kathy Horn's point, this is one of those collections that isn't necessarily moving the needle forward in terms of fashion. It's more about applying a seasonal theme to things that already sell. Right. You know, and that's fine because people will buy this stuff. And I saw some pictures from the Reese, and there are some like, great belts, great things to buy. Great bags. If you are someone that is a very ostentatious, flashy person. Yeah, if you're Travis Kelsey and you're having a weekend sojourn with Taylor Swift to Santa Fe, this collection is for you. I am annoyed, though, with the exclusivity around this Louis Vuitton Timberland collab. Because you want in? No, I don't want in, but basically they made a shoe a boot it basically just has like an embossed or debossed some something is bossed underneath like the tongue of the shoe right but they only made 50 pairs of this which i just think is pretentious and annoying and in the show the model didn't even wear this they came out in like a see-through trunk of course they're not meant to be worn they're more of like a it's like having a Jeff Koons or something. But 50 pairs does not seem like enough. Like surely like after they've gone through like Jay-Z 
Rihanna, like there's only like two pairs left for even like the ultra wealthy. We must talk about how much this set looked like Madonna's Don't Tell Me oh music God. video. <laughs> talk about appropriation. <laughs> Or more like, do you remember when Kirsten Dunst and Jimmy Fallon hosted the MTV Movie Awards and did a parody of the of that Madonna video? That's what the set looked like. <laughs> because it was like a screen of uh, the Wild West, I don't know, a desert landscape with some sort of like fake tumbleweeds and greenery and shit in the foreground. Well, they were in the middle of Paris. I mean, <laughs> what were they to do? Well, actually, they could have brought the desert there. Prada basically did that. Prada brought nature to you. That was another strong show, although I wouldn't say a paradigm shifting show. And I do think that the set, which was basically like nature underneath glass that the audience then stood on, the models then walked on, did overshadow the show a bit, or at least it did online. I often talk about this when we talk about Prada shows. There's like five to nine versions of Prada from the last 30 years that they kind of cycle through. Yeah. yeah. And it's giving late 90s Prada. Like this feels like something Giovanni Ribisi would wear in some indie rom-com where he's a worker bee, but he's quirky. And you know how you know that, Chelsea? Because he's wearing two belts. <laughs> yeah, Prada is always giving us geek chic for the 1%. <laughs> the timeless things, the suits, the sweaters, the button-down shirts that will sell in the store, and the swim caps that no one will actually wear, but they're a fun styling detail. Oh my God, so many beanies. <laughs> also, on a related note, our long national nightmare is over. Prada Beauty is finally coming to Sephora. Oh, thank God. I can think of no environment that I would rather try on makeup less in than the Prada store, especially the Prada store on Rodeo Drive because we're still doing that pandemic thing where you have to wait outside the store and then they assign you an individual person that just trails you around the store so you feel like you can't just go in and like try on a pair of sunglasses casually and I can't imagine like trying to put on lipstick in front of one of those like super austere Prada employees it freaks me out no I think you need to lean into it and you just need to test all the foundation while making unbroken eye contact with your assigned sales associate so spooky I'm like so scared of like spilling foundation on those perfect like mint green carpets okay cool <laughs> do you have these sunglasses in tortoiseshell they look at you like you've killed someone it's like uh. You're like, is that what these stairs are for? To throw myself down? No, it really freaks me out. It freaks me out in there. Moving on to Gucci. Yeah, do we want to talk about Gucci? Sure. I mean, I don't have much to say about Gucci. What separates Sabato de Sarno from other fashion designers remains to be seen, but the clothes are chic and inoffensive yeah i did like his quote because clearly he's still pressed from the september show he goes i read some critics in september who said oh he just did a commercial collection for the brand blah 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 this is bullshit i was like oh he's mad okay well then we need to see a little bit of authorship give me something give me a shoulder that's specific to you you know because at the end of the day anyone that has this job can always rely on the coolness of the logo and on all of the bags and things right. that they make season after season. Like you really have such a, a huge advantage going in. 
Well, you know how he really could put his stamp on Gucci? Instead of continuing to design Jackie bags, why don't you bring back whatever bag that Carrie Bradshaw has in season two <laughs> shortcomings? What the fuck is that Gucci bag? Yeah, seriously, bring back that bag. Also, I did go into the one of the Gucci stores in Sydney and it had undergone a make under. They deem they de uh, Alessandro McKelly did. It. Yes. Wow. There was not a embroidered lion in sight. It was completely gray, not quite as prisony as Balenciaga. Like it still had fluffy carpets, but it was very like austere, very like nineties era kind of Gucci vibe. Are they gonna do that to the Gucci Osteria restaurant? I don't know. I don't even know how you fix, like what would you even do to the Rodeo store? Because it is like, whatever your idea of Gucci is, just like it's 10 times more over the top than you could ever imagine. It's like a Hollywood Regency, like, explosion imagine the original charlie and the chocolate factory but like willy wonka is alessandro michele like that's what the <laughs> store looks like and there's a restaurant on top of it that goes with all of that but that vibe is very opposite to whatever this is Speaking of a vibe that's the complete opposite, <laughs> should we talk about the Rick Owen show? I loved this show. I thought it was outrageously good and truly a silhouette that I have never seen in my life, which is impressive in and of itself. If you have not seen what this look is, are they are they shoes? Are they bottom of pants? They're knee-high boots that are inflatable to the point where the foot is completely obscured and it makes the lower half of the leg look bulbous and deformed, basically. It's like they're almost oval shaped in the same way that the shoes were from like the McQueen, like the Plato's Atlantis collection, except it's like that times 10 in terms of scale. Yeah, I like that he said about this show, we are herded through that gauntlet of a very specific beauty and aspiration of a certain kind of sexuality, a certain kind of face shape, a certain kind of body shape, and it's unattainable. He calls this airport beauty. Imagine trying to go through security in those. <laughs> That's what he goes, and I oppose it. And when I wear my platform boots as I go through the airport, it's to oppose airport beauty. This is my resistance. And it's like, yeah, these are fashions that will get you on the do not fly list for sure. <laughs> yeah, those boots like have metal in them. To be fair, they could be used as a weapon. Every look would make a TSA agent cry. Like, <laughs> what is this? I guess take off your pterodactyl leather jacket. Yeah. <laughs> like, do those things come off your feet? They look crazy and they looked very cool in motion. I wonder what celebrity, if any celebrity, will attempt such a thing. Kim should. Absolutely. Well, and that whole look is about body modification and looking deformed and stuff. So I feel like this would be a perfect subversion of that for her. Is it weird that I kind of want them? I don't think it's weird. I think this collection was beautiful. As, as always, it's mostly black. But when he does use color, it's like the best color. It's like muted mustard and like grayish baby blue and like drab like salmony pink i think it's time to go back to the rick owens store the best store in the world the rick owens store in los angeles is gorgeous and it's next to a, a vintage store called jet rag which was the first vintage store i ever shopped at and just a stone's throw from just one eye which is one of our better stores here 
there is a street called Sycamore Street, a block off of La Brea where the Rick Owens store is, and there's just one eye. There's Gigi's, there's Tartine. It's kind of like our Bedford Avenue, but a bit more upscale. Like it's like a hipster settlement. <laughs> well, that, or it's like something that was clearly meant for the arts district and they just put in Hollywood, which like, thank the Lord. Yeah. All right. This seems to be a regular bit the last month. Should we discuss what we've been watching? Because we've actually watched all the same things. Yeah, we actually timed it out <laughs> this time. It, if things get chaotic over the holidays, it's hard. But we saw three movies. Should we start with Anatomy of a Fall just because we've already referenced it like 10 times? Sure. I know from time to time people will write in our podcast reviews that we hate everything. So I want to say with my whole chest, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> this film is for people like us who love European dialogue-driven art house films, but are also true crime trash. Absolutely. It is basic instinct for people that watch the Criterion channel. Well, also, several times while I was watching the movie, I'm like Justine Tree to watch The Staircase during the pandemic. <laughs> I was like, this bitch watched The Staircase like I did. <laughs> That's right. How did that blood spatter happen? It's too coincidental. I know. It's really, really good. Also, I just want to say, if my spouse listened to a steel drum version of PIMP <laughs> on repeat, I think that homicide is completely justifiable. I have had that in my head all week. I'll drop a little of it here just to exercise it from my being. Those who have just seen the poster of Anatomy of a Fall, IMDb says that it is a film about a woman who is suspected of her husband's murder and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the main witness. Kind of. You know what? I'm such an idiot. I didn't even realize he was blind until the part where he was like, oh yeah, I was like feeling the tape outside or whatever to know where he is in the house. And the house is this like mid-century kind of structure in the middle of the French Alps. It's a very austere sort of setting. It's what would have happened if Carrie moved to Suffern with Ada, <laughs> is another way to put it. Yeah, without getting too spoilery about this film, I will also say this film is like, for people that watch Marriage Story and was like, you know what's missing from this film? More homicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At its heart, this is a movie about what happens when two creative people are in a relationship and one of them is more successful than the other one. Well, I think also a very specific thing about the film, which I don't know if you felt with Tap, but I looked at Paul and I was like, I'm so glad that we don't do the same thing. Because they're both writers, and I think that is also the thing. Yeah, no, I definitely don't feel like I have this dynamic with my wife, thank God. But uh, that scene, there is an argument in this film that is one of the most impeccably written and impeccably acted things I've ever seen in my life. And you basically see how it sort of escalates from like a quote-unquote reasonable, normal argument to something that is so grotesque and over the top and fucked up. Like, it's just, it's, it's truly masterful. 
there's a lot of discussion, right? Like Greta Gerwig says she'll never make a contemporary film because she doesn't want to have to deal with cell phones. And this is kind of the opposite of that is in such an artful way that pushes the plot forward, you see different media types. At a certain point in this film, it feels like it's existing in a vacuum. And I'm like, well, clearly this would be of public interest if this trial really happened. And then it switches to all the press footage, people in France, uh, pundits talking about the case, how she's guilty. And I'm like, oh, amazing. Truly. Also, Sandra Huller is giving German Isabelle Huppert. Oh, This is yeah. that kind of female anti-hero role. And there's something so austere and untrustworthy about her, I think. Yeah, while we were watching it, Paul was like, shouldn't she be more upset? And I was like, she doesn't have to be the perfect fucking victim, Paul. <laughs> I know, because you, you really, like, as a viewer, are confused. Of her emotional reaction, yeah. Well, of her innocence. Yes, that's a big question throughout the film. Would this go in the subgenre of good for her? Well, if she actually did kill him. This woman has the best novel coming. <laughs> as a writer, I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, I really did think it was going to fast forward to, like, her writing a book about this whole trial and everything that went on. Yeah, this could very easily turn into a Sydney from Scream becoming a best-selling novelist yeah. kind of movie trope. I would definitely watch Anatomy of a Fall Part 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Anatomy of Another Fall. Which happened in the staircase. Yeah. That guy's wife fell down a set of stairs, thought it would be a great idea to invite a French film crew to film a documentary while the trial's happening, and while it's happening, they discover that the stepchildren that he took care of, that he then adopted, their mother died by falling down a set of stairs. And his defense attorney just looks at the camera and goes, well, now you got a documentary. <laughs> so moving on, I just feel like this bounty. I know. This is a true, like, cultural cornucopia. We never have this much stuff to talk about. That we love. That is why people think we hate everything. Moving on to more things we love. Poor things. Loved this movie yeah. so much. So much. The Favorite is one of my favorite films of recent years, so I went in with high expectations, and they were exceeded. This is one of the most absurd movies I have ever seen in my life. I love how unapologetically maximal it is. I don't know about you, but my theater was packed. I think it was the Golden Globes influence of like, oh, this one, best comedy. Like maybe we should see it because I truly could not find a screening on a Friday night other than one in the Valley. They were all sold out. So the film, which is based on a book, is the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist, Dr. Goodwin Baxter. Goodwin. <laughs> I saw a matinee with a surprisingly full audience, and my audience did not have the sense of humor that was required for this film. I was like cackling by myself. Okay, so I have, in general, the last few years been very anti-theater because every time I see a movie, it's with shitty crowds. Incredible crowd. Everyone was on board for what the tone of this movie was. Having seen this film now, I need an investigative piece about the families that saw this film together over Christmas. Because this <laughs> is not a film to see with your parents. Too much sex. And I say this as someone who has watched The Night Porter with their father. Okay, that's fucked up for many reasons, but moving on. This movie really proves that men want one thing and one thing only. It's adult women 
with the brains of wee little babies. So going into this film, I really didn't know much about the plot. I knew that there was some controversy, of course, kind of TikTok internet brain was like, she's being groomed because what I knew about the plot was a baby's brain is put into this adult woman's body. Slight spoiler, if you don't want to hear anything, skip ahead 30 seconds. It's not any baby's brain put in her body. It's her own baby's brain being put in her body, which is so fucked up, but it is also this amazing dramatization of agency and the idea of how one attains agency because she becomes more and more sexual, which is her own doing. It's what she wants, and it just further alienates men, specifically Mark Ruffalo, from her. (laughs) And she basically drives him insane by being... Such a nasty little slut. Just incredible performance by Emma Stone. Completely fearless, completely just odd, I guess. But also the fact that you see her progress throughout the film because she does become mentally and emotionally more mature throughout the course of this film. And enlightened. Also, I think we have to talk about the visuals of this movie because they are so specific. It is set in the 1800s. But the sets, much like Barbie, are constructed like a 1930s studio film, but then like nothing is specific to any period. It's like there's brutalist influences, there's Art Nouveau, there's Victoriana, there's all these things like put together. That boat is even like full steampunk. That's the only thing that I was like, oh, I love this movie so much, but oh, I don't know about this quasi steampunk aesthetic. (laughs) Well, yeah, because there was futurist elements throughout this as well. And you especially see that in the costumes. Oh, my God. The costumes are incredible. Holly Waddington's costumes. If this woman does not win an Academy Award, I will be chaining myself outside (laughs) of the Academy's offices in a leg of mutton sleeve in protest. Not the Dolby Theater. Wherever I have to go, I will be. I saw Batman in concert at the Dolby Theater, which is where they hold the Academy Awards, which is why I'm bringing this up. A place I've never been before because it's on Hollywood Boulevard. I went there. Okay, did you ever notice that as you go up those steps, which are the steps that actors, crew, anyone that's directed for the Academy Awards, they have every year who won Best Picture? And I was like, how dystopian is this? Like, how nerve-wracking. Huh, Gone with the Wind, okay. And then when you're coming down, they have the years going on for decades, like up until 2070. Like, they have it prepared for Best Picture winners. Okay, that's spooky. I always wondered who went to those, like, live... Things and now I know it's it's you. It's me and thousands of other people who sold out. Wow. Back to poor things. It's really unfortunate that so many people watched Barbie as a double feature with Oppenheimer because it belongs with poor things. It's funny you say that because I saw a letterbox review describe this film as this is what happened to Barbie after she went to the gynecologist. <laughs> Yeah, there is a lot of thematic similarities, certainly. They even both have absurd pets. Barbie has that plastic dog that shits little plastic pellets, and Bella Baxter has that, you know, half French bulldog, half 
duck or something. Yeah. Did you want that? I did want it. I wanted all of her pets. So good. And not surprising that one of the potential projects Yorgos Lathamos is going to do next is adapting My Year of Rest and Relaxation into a film. That's been rumored for a while now, but I haven't heard any updates on that in a long time. To back it up a little, My Year of Rest and Relaxation written by Otessa Moshfeg, who we're about to get into because we're talking about Eileen next. But basically, Margot Robbie bought the rights to that book, presumably to star in it because it's about a very hot woman. And he has been tentatively attached to direct, but I really hope that actually happens because I can't imagine anyone else being able to adapt that book because it's all one woman's crazy internal monologue and with one of the best last page reveals ever also i think that if your ghost directed my year of rest and relaxation then there's a high probability that he could actually get Whoopi goldberg to be <laughs> herself in the film she is prominently featured a <laughs> recurring theme let's just say in that book you know i feel like that could be the being john malkovich of our generation oh yeah because charlie Kaufman wrote that script not knowing John Malkovich. Yorgos and Margot Robbie and Whoopi Goldberg and Otessa Moshfeg could all just come together. We'd never talk about anything else for the rest of our lives, I believe. And also, that could be the movie that would get Margot Robbie an Oscar, assuming that she's going to lose to Emma Stone for Poor Things. Previous to, I think, the Whisper campaign and more people seeing Poor Things over the holidays, it seemed like Lily Gladstone was a lock for Best Actress, but now it seems like with every award show, Emma Stone is winning more and more awards, and it's looking likely that she might win Best Actress, which she's incredible in that film. But I love that it's such a toss-up. Like, with the Oscars, we'll get the nominations next week, right? Tuesday, so we'll, yeah. We'll talk about it on the next episode, but... It really feels like anyone could win some of these major awards, and it's exciting. I can't remember the last award season I've looked forward to this much. Always a good year when anyone could win the Oscar pool. So moving on to Eileen, adapted from Otessa Moshfeg's first novel. Which she did the adaptation, partially adapted it, along with the director. Okay, this movie is just Carol for mentally ill people. Basically, this film is about this sad 20-something woman who has no friends, just takes care of her alcoholic father, works at basically like a prison for teen boys. I'm looking at the IMDb log line. Did you write this? Because a woman's friendship with a new coworker at the prison facility where she works takes a sinister turn. <laughs> And her colleague at the prison is Anne Hathaway. Who has never looked hotter? I agree. Holy shit. This is definitely one of the coolest things she's ever done, for sure. I've also never seen a period film in recent memory that feels like a movie that could have been released in the 60s, yet also feels completely contemporary. Yeah, I do think it was a lot like Carol, not just because of the sort of lesbian themes, but just because of the way it was shot. Yeah, I mean, the references are worn on its sleeve, like the Hitchcock in title sequence, but it didn't feel reductive. Look, it's so hard because having just read the book, whenever you read a book, you basically do create a movie in your head right. while you're reading it of like what you imagine it to be. And this was very different than how I experienced the book. I think with the book, there's a grotesqueness 
to her writing that just doesn't come through as much, whereas this feels very stylized. Like in the book, Eileen's character is like a laxative addict and they right. get into that in great detail and things like that. Like you also get the sense that the house is like really bad, like squalor. Right, you right, know? right. And that... I don't think really came through in the film. Well, you would lose a, a general audience watching the film if you did that. For sure, for sure. But also, the book, not as queer. In the book, I get the sense that Eileen is more like she's found a kindred spirit in the Anne Hathaway character. Uh, Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca, yeah. It's more like I want to be her unless I want to fuck her, but I feel like this skewed more towards I want to fuck her. It feels like Eileen in the film lacks such an identity that it's like she wants to be her and she wants to fuck her. But in the book, she has an identity that's, I guess, a bit closer to the protagonist of my year of rest and relaxation. Like she has a, almost like a sort of cruel read of the world around her and she also keeps a frozen mouse in the glove compartment of her car in the book which i feel like could have been cinematic whatever i enjoyed this movie a lot i did too i don't want to say anything more no we're not going to spoil this movie but i also do want to say there is another actress that really did an excellent job a third lead perhaps who really stole the show after we record <laughs> we'll have a spoiler filled discussion of eileen all right, we've basically talked about everything, so that can only mean one thing. Cardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. You're just a witch, and I hate you. <laughs> Inject this Lana Del Rey Skims campaign in my veins. <laughs> if I could wallpaper my house with the images from this shoot, I would do it. It's so fucking brilliant. It's the best thing that's ever happened. I mean, also genius on Kim or whomever was on the Skims team to like grab Lana right after that Gucci contract expired. We should note that the Skims Valentine's Day campaign was shot by Nadia Lee Cohen, who does the best Skims campaigns, takes the best photos of Lana Del Rey. As you remember, she also did that interview cover where she was a smoking bride last year. Yes, does the best photos of Kim as well. Nadia and Lana is such an intuitive pairing because hyper-femininity and mid-century imagery is such an intrinsic part of how they both define themselves as artists. So it, on a conceptual level... It just makes so much sense. This is like porn for women. Right, right, right. Like this is what like we actually want to see. Just hyper-saturated mid-century sets. That's the porn we would like to see. Just pastel satin and kittens and fluffy blankets and roses and, you know, all of it. Yeah, yet again, Skims got my ass. <laughs> I wonder, though, if you can actually buy, like, the things like the gloves, like the heart-shaped eye patch. Like, surely that can't be for sale. Sorry, I'm just imagining you dressing up for Tab for Valentine's Day. And, like, <laughs> you've patch. got, like, a full see-through pink teddy and then also just an eye patch. <laughs> Major. Tat's like, not no, but I just want to know why. If they're selling that eye patch, I will buy that eye patch just to wear it when we record on Valentine's Day. Please do. So we also got the relaunch of Kim's makeup line, which has now been folded into skin. Mm -hmm. Not half as exciting as this campaign. But they did drop it in the correct order, right? It's like makeup line, then the Lana Del Rey skims thing. The makeup should be more exciting than it is. 
maybe it's that the packaging just needs to be more lavish. Well, that is interesting that for the grayish lifestyle that she lives, that it doesn't make more of an impact in skims, but it does in skin. As I've said about celebrity skincare lines, makeup lines, it really feels like stuff that they would like on their countertop. Yeah, I guess I just kind of want like the more upscale version of that. Like I want like a literal concrete lipstick holder that's like refillable or something. Well, we'll report back next week about what we purchased during the Skims Valentine's Day sale. And if there was indeed a red velvet eye patch, heart-shaped eye patch. We shall see. All right. I love you, Chelsea. We've got Goop Kitchen awaiting us. And <laughs> we, have, we have many exciting things for this year we actually have to discuss off pod. I know. I know. Very exciting year. Also, if you haven't bought tickets to our live shows yet, please do that. Yes. And we'll be announcing more dates soon. Hallelujah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.